Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 so today what we're going to be looking at it's kind of a little bit of a heavy topic and i'll be right up front i've probably studied for this message more than i've studied for any other message in my life and it, it doesn't help that pastor walter kind of like you know to be continued last week and he took a second week so i had a whole second week to study for this and i read even more stuff right and, and so I, I hope that this is going to be a blessing to you that this is an encouragement to you that this stirs your heart right but here's the thing what we're going to be looking at this morning is the the subject the topic of the antichrist Jesus gives a warning, and we're going to begin by looking at the warnings that Jesus gives, and also some of the other uh, uh, writers in the epistles give, about the Antichrist, that one who opposes himself to Jesus Christ, all right? So Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24. You don't have to turn there. These verses will be on the screen, right? I want you to see these, these warnings that Jesus gives. He says this after the disciples ask, give us some, some indication what the signs will be like. What, when will we know that these things are going to happen? And Jesus has just said that every stone will be torn down in the temple, right? This is the Olivet Discourse, these last days exhortation that Jesus is giving to the disciples, right? And he says this, he sat on the Mount of Olives uh, and he says to them, uh, privately, he says, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and when the end, what will be the end of the age? Jesus answered and he said, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There's going to come many that will try to lead you astray. They're going to try to tell you that they're the Christ, that they're the one that you should be following, right? Person after person after person is going to come into your life. Trial after trial, issue after issue, topic after topic, worry after worry, and all of these things are going to try to distract you from me. They're going to try to lead you astray, but these men will come, and they will claim to be the Christ in order to deceive you, literally. That's what it means to be led astray. To deceive you, to pull you away, to lead you away from the presence of God. This morning, listen to me, dear church, this morning, there, are, there is a, a, an evil force that is at work this morning that is trying to lead you from the presence of Jesus. And far too many of you have allowed that presence to lead you out of the presence of God right? Be careful, Jesus says, and he says this three times in Matthew 24. The first time they're going to come, they're going to say that, I, that they're the Christ. They're going to try to lead you astray. Listen to what it says. Let's jump down to verse 10, and it says, and then many will fall away. So many people will fall away. The word means to, to literally to fall into sin or to become offended by the gospel. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise. There it is again, to lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Skip down now to verse 
uh, verse 24, and Jesus says this, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray. There it is again. If possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. I'm trying to warn you. Don't let people lead you astray. Don't let people cause you to wander. Don't let people take you by the hand and to lead you from the presence of God. This is what the enemy wants to do. And he's going to use any ploy possible to keep you from worshiping the Lord the way you were created to worship the Lord. He doesn't care what or who you worship as long as you don't worship God. As long as you don't worship the Christ, as long as you don't worship the Messiah who hung on a cross for your sins, he doesn't care who or what you worship as long as you don't worship the Lord. It's going to happen, Jesus says. False prophets, false Christ, false teachers, they will come, they'll take you by the hand, they will lead you astray. Be careful. Listen, I'm warning you that this is coming. Now look at what the apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Many Antichrists. This is the first time we see this phrase in the scriptures. Antichrist means not just someone that opposes Christ, not just someone that is defiant to Christ, not just someone that is coming in, in opposition to and wanting to, to struggle with Christ. Literally, the word means in the place of or in substitute of Christ. That's what the Antichrist is. And John says, listen, it's not just one Antichrist that you should be concerned with, and this is what my fear is for the church is that we get so wrapped up in trying to figure out who this one Antichrist is. And you can read story after story and article after article of people who are trying to you know, figure out who the Antichrist is and whether or not he's alive today and, and you know, what region he's going to come from and what his name might be and what he might look like and all of these things that we miss what John says here because he says you need to be careful because many Antichrists have already come. Many things, many, many, many people that are trying to pull you away, that are, in, that are presenting themselves in the place of Christ. This morning, in your own life, I want you to consider this question carefully. Is there something or someone that you have exalted in your life that you've put on a pedestal or put on a throne that has pulled you away from the Lord? Because you've already succumbed to what John was warning his listeners about. His readers about, be careful because many antichrists have already come. And what I'm suggesting to you is that the antichrist that there is in your life might not be a person that you're following. Maybe it's a doctrine that you're following. Maybe it's a political position that you're following that's consuming you, that has distracted you from the kingdom of God. Maybe it's, it's some goal that you have in life, the next level that you're trying to reach in your company, the next degree that you're going to get in those initials after your name. Maybe it's the next zero that you're going to put on your bank account or the next home that you're going to acquire. Whatever it is, it's pulling you away from the Lord and it is an antichrist in your life. It is in opposition to your worship to Jesus. Does this make sense to you? It takes many different shapes and sizes. And the thing is, the reason why it's, it, it's so effective is because the enemy is so subtly deceptive. We look at these things and we think, this isn't a big deal. I'm not in sin, right? This is a good goal that I should have to get my degree. But yet you stop reading the word. You stop praying. You stop volunteering at church. You stop giving uh, of your time to, to, to the work of God. And it's an antichrist in opposition to Christ in your life. There are some goals that we need to realize that we need to set aside so that we can worship the Lord the way he calls us to worship. 
We have antichrist that we have exalted in our lives. Now, the scripture warns about this coming, the antichrist, not just many little antichrists, but the antichrist. In Daniel chapter 8, let me read this to you. This is out of the original authorized version, King James Version. In the latter time of their kingdom, when transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance with a prideful, arrogant face, literally is what that means. And understanding, he will understand dark sentences. He shall stand up and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He's literally going to be possessed by the power, by the spirit of Satan, this Antichrist that is to come. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself, exalt himself, lift himself up in his heart and by his peace shall destroy many and shall also uh, stand up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken but without hand. Now, think about this just for a moment. Here's this man who's going to come with prideful arrogance countenance right on his countenance pride and arrogance will fill his heart he will lift himself he will exalt himself above the lord this is the one that will come you can read about him write this down in your notes revelation chapter 6 when the tribulation begins after the church has been taken away the scripture says that the antichrist will come onto the scene he's seen as a a, a horseman riding a white stallion and he's he's given the authority to conquer the nations He's going to come and he's going to ride forth in power. You can read about the Antichrist later in Revelation chapter 13. You can read the description about this beast that will arise. You can read about his world system in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, how he will ride it or he, he will carry this woman, Babylon, right? And that there's this world system that he will set in place and he'll lead everyone to the point to where there's one world government. And there's one world monetary system. And everyone who buys and sells will have to take a mark upon himself. You can read about these things. These are what will come of the Antichrist. But here's what I want us to do this morning. As we heed these warnings of Jesus, I want us to look back into the past. And I want us to see an object lesson that God gave us of the Antichrist way back in the book of Genesis. Why? So that we can see the ways in which the Antichrist wanted to move, the spirit of Satan wanted to move back in Genesis and identify the ways he's trying to move in our culture, in our midst today. Does this make sense? So Genesis chapter 10. We're going to read the story of a man by the name of Nimrod. And as we read his story, Nimrod is given to us as a type, as a type of the Antichrist. In literature, some of you may have studied literature or taken some literature classes in, in either high school or college, and oftentimes an author will employ foreshadowing, right, in order to give a hint of what's going to come in their story. This Nimrod is a foreshadowing, a type, right, a foreshadowing that God gives us, saying this is what the Antichrist will look like when he comes. Genesis chapter 10, read it with me, beginning in verse 8. This is after the flood, as God is wanting the world to repopulate. He says in verse 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar, and from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. Now, pause there for a moment. We're going to now look at the works of the Antichrist as seen through the life of Nimrod. 
Nimrod, his name, if you're taking notes, literally means the one who causes rebellion or the one who rebels. Literally, his name means rebel. Nimrod was a rebel. He, he not only rebelled in his own heart, he led a rebellion against the Lord. How does he do this? It says there in this text that he went on, he, in the beginning of his kingdom, was Babel. The word Babel literally meant gateway to God. And so what Nimrod wants to do is he wants to construct a gateway to reach the heavens, a gateway to reach back to God, right? Turn your page just real briefly. Let's look at the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. Again, church historians, uh, Jewish writers, the midrash of many Jewish rabbis tell us that Nimrod is the one who built the Tower of Babel, was the one whose idea this was to build the Tower of Babel. Look at the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as a people migrated from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Shinar means literally two rivers. It's where two rivers meet. This is in modern-day Iraq, and many scholars believe that this was the site of the original Garden of Eden. It was so fertile because it was the place where the mouths of two rivers came together. All right, so look at this. The land of Shinar, and he settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us bake bricks or make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for, and for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, Nimrod was the man who began this rebellion. Pastor Walter referenced this when he was praying without even knowing that this is something I'm going to speak on today. He, the, the Lord had told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. After the flood, God blesses Noah and his sons, and he says to Noah and his sons, I want you to bless you, and I want you to multiply and to fill the earth, to spread across the earth. What Nimrod does is he begins this rebellion, and those who say, we want to make a name for ourselves, we don't want to be dispersed across the earth. We want to stay together. We want to band together. And in Nimrod's heart, he says, let's build a tower that will reach the heavens. Now, Josephus, a church historian from the first century, he says this about this man, Nimrod. He says, he persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it was through his means, through God's means that they were happy, but that to believe that it was their own courage which procured their happiness. God isn't the one who gives you blessings. You've got to earn those blessings. You've got to get those blessings on your own. You've got to chase those blessings. Those don't come from the Lord. This is what Josephus says. This is the, the heart behind Nimrod. Nimrod says, God isn't the one who blesses. You can bless yourself if you work hard enough. You can earn those blessings and those favors. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be in life. Does this sound like, like some things that we teach our kids, right? Nimrod, this is the man. He, he encourages the rest of his people to do and to have the same thing. He also said... Listen to this. This was the reason why he wanted to build such a massive tower. He says this. He says, I will be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. And for that, he would build a tower to, to, to the heavens. So that if God decided, I'm going to judge the world through water again, I'm going to build a tower so high that I can escape the floodwaters. This is the heart of Nimrod, the rebellious heart of Nimrod. So as we're looking through these works, I want you to write that down. The first work that we're going to see, the Antichrist, is a work of rebellion. Those of you who have teenagers in your home, you might recognize this work of rebellion, right? 
But in, within the heart of each of us, there's this heart of rebellion, this heart that says, I can do for myself. I don't need anything or anyone or any God. I can do this on my own. This is the heart of Nimrod. Listen to what the, the, this, this, uh, the Jewish writers said about Nimrod. Nimrod asks the people, why should they enjoy in the heavens alone? Shouldn't we have a say of what goes on in the heavens? And so Nimrod builds this tower, and the Jewish teachers, the Jewish rabbis tell us that one of the motivations for this was to escape the floods, but also to storm heaven itself, to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to do battle against the Lord. I'm strong enough and I'm brave enough and I'm, and I'm capable or able of standing before the Lord as an opponent. How crazy this guy's mind must have been. Now this tower... The Greek historians tell us that this tower was 660 feet wide by 660 feet long, and it was at least as tall as it was wide and long. So to put that in perspective, 660 feet, that's bigger than two football fields, wide and long and at least high, right? And this was years ago when they built this tower, and they built this tower, part of it was to get to the heavens, and they would read the stars, and they were consumed with astrology, and they were trying to look to the stars, and they were asking the stars for their answers. They weren't going to the Lord for direction. They were trying to discern from the universe what God or what, what, what the universe wanted them to, to do, not what God wanted them to do. This heart of rebellion. Doesn't this heart remind you of Satan? When we read in Isaiah chapter 14, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, Lucifer? Speaking of the angelic being that was Lucifer before he fell from heaven. How, how you've fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you're cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. The scripture says when the Antichrist comes in Daniel chapter 7 that he will speak pompous, prideful, arrogant words. I don't need you, God. I can do this on my own. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the rebellion, the falling away, comes first. The land of, and, the, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Listen to this. Who opposes himself and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The purpose of the Antichrist is to be able to rob the Lord of worship and to receive that worship as his own. The one who opposes and exalts himself as God, taking the space, the space of any God in the throne, in the temple of the Lord. Are you following me? Now, it's important here that this says this temple or this tower was built of brick. What is brick? Brick is man's attempt to make stone. Does this make sense? We, we can't make stone. We can't create from nothing. So what do we do? We take the clay, we take the dirt, and we bake it, and we, and we form it, and we fashion it, and we try to make something that can hold, hold up the, to, to strength, something that's strong enough that we can construct out of, right? It is man's attempt to build on our own. And here is the danger that we all face. Because there's no work, there's no sweat, there's no bleeding till your knuckles are gone. You cannot work hard enough to earn the pleasure, the, the, the glory, the righteousness of God. You cannot do that on your own. It doesn't matter how many bricks you construct. It doesn't matter how tall your tower becomes. You cannot reach the heavens on your own. 
It will never happen. It can never take place. Jeremiah chapter 48 says this, flee, save yourselves. You will be like a juniper in the desert for because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you shall be taken. He gives a warning to the southern kingdom. You're going to be taken away captive just like the northern kingdom because you trusted in your own works. I wonder how many would be guilty of this this morning, trusting in your own works, trusting in the sweat of your own brow, trusting in your own ingenuity and your own talents and your own treasures. How many of us would be guilty before the Lord of trusting in self? See, there are two types of people in the world. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable, and he says he tells this parable to those in the audience that trusted in themselves, that they could trust in their own righteousness for salvation. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One of the men was a Pharisee. The other man was a tax collector. And the Pharisee goes in to the temple to pray, and he stands in front of everyone by himself, and he prays out loud so that everyone can hear, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not a sinner, that I'm not an extortioner, that I'm not an adulterer. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector standing over there because I tithe and I fast and I do all of my religious stuff. You should be really pleased with my works, God. And then Jesus says, but there's a second man, the tax collector who stood up in the corner who wouldn't even raise his eyes to God and he beats his breast and he looks down at the floor and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that second man went back to his home justified. And the question is, which man are you today? Are you following after the way of Nimrod? Have you fallen after that form of rebellion where you say, I can get there on my own? When you, you're, the question is asked, will you make it to heaven? Well, I think I'll make it to heaven. Well, why? Because I'm a good person. Because I do good things, because I do good works, because I help people, and I'm kind to people, and I give to people, and I maybe give to charity here and there. Well, those are works that will leave you frustrated in the end because they cannot help you reach the heavens. Be the one that beats the breast. Be the one that looks to the floor and says, God, help me. I cannot make it on my own. Only the blood of Jesus will get you to heaven. There is no other work, Right? Now, the world is filled, literally filled with religion after religion that is trying in its own efforts to reach God. The Buddhists, for the Buddhist, his, his main goal in worship of his religion is to find, finally ascend to the state of nirvana. And nirvana is described as a state of bliss, freedom from any desire for the physical world, and the end of cycling, the cycle of rebirth, and, after rebirth, after rebirth, and suffering after suffering after suffering, nirvana can only be attained after the extinction of greed, aversion, and ignorance. You've got to earn that state. For the Hindu, the Hindus state that they're trying to reach is a state of moksha, and it literally means freedom or liberation. It's achieved by overcoming ignorance and desire. It's a work. How about Judaism? Judaism is revolving around the written law of God and we have to you know, obey these commands and those commands and keep these feasts and those festivals and eat this way and not that way. It's a list of rule after rule after rule in order to try to be righteous before God. And when you can't be righteous before God, you, you bring some sort of offering or sacrifice to appease God. There is no offering that you can offer any longer. Jesus came as that sacrifice. It doesn't matter what kind of law you keep. How about in Islam? Islam abides by Sharia law. Sharia law literally means the clear, well-trodden path to water. It is a code for righteous living in the Muslim's life. 
in which paradise can be reached if they keep the five pillars of Islam, which is giving, prayer, fasting, pilgrimage, and faith. Right? Again, it's works. It's my efforts to try to reach paradise in this case, or God. How about even Catholicism? Catholicism teaches that you can attain salvation, that salvation is gifted to you through the seven sacraments. You have to go through the seven sacraments in order to experience or receive salvation. It's even that is works-based, right? The world offers religion after religion after religion to try to appease something within man that says, I can do this on my own. Show me how to do this on my own. But Christianity comes and it wrecks every other religion. And it says it's not about you putting forth effort and works to reach God. It's about the work of God coming down to reach you. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977